All right. Let me grab my stuff. So uh, I didn't know that you guys were called The Well when we named our thing The Well. That was not on purpose, like me copying Tory thing. Uh, but I did know you guys. Now I feel like I kind of have, now I'm thinking about it. Named our young adult ministry The Well. Moved to East Austin to plant a church. Uh, we got two roommates, kind of like Tory had roommates. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I might have like a slight man crush on Tory <laughs> and just kind of copying everything he's doing. But uh, Let's, uh, let's get into the Word and talk about Jesus this morning. We're in 1 Timothy. Uh, if you have uh, a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, and I'll show, uh, just before we jump in a little bit, uh, as you guys are turning there, just about me and my family and our team. Uh, I got a picture of uh, my wife and I and our children. So this is my wife, Jenny. She's here in the front. And our two kids, uh, Lizzie, this is our little girl. And Owen is our little boy. They're in your children's ministry right now, hopefully being sweet and quiet and calm. Uh, no promises. Uh, and so we, uh, we, we were excited to be in East Austin. We're being sent from uh, Wells Branch Community Church, another hill country church up north, if you guys know where Wells Branch is. We've been serving there the past several years, doing the young adult ministry, the well uh, there, uh, and now planting here. And so uh, it's really neat, and it's an honor to be here. Um, and so I have a picture, too, of our core team. Uh, this is uh, most of us. Um, half the people in this are one guy's kids. Uh, this is one of the families. <laughs> He's got like 10 kids. Uh, he's great. His name's Tony. Um, and so this is, uh, this is our little team that we're, uh, by the grace of God, hoping to see a new work of the gospel planted here, like Tori was saying. Uh, so with that said, uh, let's jump into uh, 1 Timothy. And you guys have been going through this series for uh, a little while now. Uh, Paul's been writing to Timothy about ordering a healthy church in a corrupt, chaotic culture. Uh, and today, kind of where we're going this morning is he's addressing the issue of contentment versus greed. Uh, and so earlier this month, we just got back from a vacation to uh, California. Earlier this month, I was in Tanzania. I've been gone like the entire month of July. Uh, but we were, I was in Tanzania with, we have some missionaries there that are doing church planting with unreached people groups. We were spending time with them, uh, kind of ministering to them and doing some ministry with them. And on the way home, uh, I sat next to, on the plane, I sat next to um, a Muslim leader and then a uh, Roman Catholic Tanzanian guy were both in my row. So we had some really interesting conversations on the plane ride, on the like 13-hour plane ride home. Uh, and so the, the Catholic guy, the Tanzanian Catholic guy started asking me, he was kind of interrogating me in a friendly way, um, asking me a lot of questions. What are you doing in Tanzania? What are, what are you guys, what's the mission you're after? And um, he kind of calmed down over a little while and, and started becoming more friendly. And he asked, you know, what is your favorite part about Tanzania? And uh, I told him that it was the people. I love the people of Tanzania. We, we love them. We pray for them. We have good relationships there. Uh, and so he asked me, uh, do you know why? He said, that's awesome that you love the people. He was like, wow, I'm glad you love the people. And he said, do you know why they're so happy? Because they are. They're super happy. Um, do you know why they're so happy, even though most of them are so poor? And he said, they don't know how poor they are. And it's better that way. And I said, what do you mean? And, uh, and he was just kind of going off, and he talked for a little while about this contentment that comes with uh, just a simple life. Uh, a lot of them just live in a simple life on a farm. They got corn. They got chickens. A lot of them, biggest problems, just making sure they get enough corn or making sure the monkeys don't steal their corn. That actually happens. I got to see that. Uh, our missionary, has got a farm over there, and as we were leaving, a monkey was running off like this with his corn, <laughs> chased him down, couldn't catch him. Um, and so you know, he's just talking about this and saying, like, there, there's a lot of contentment from just not knowing everything that you're missing out on. And he said, you guys don't have that benefit in the United States. 
uh, especially in cities like Austin. And it's true, we don't have the option of not being aware of what we don't have here in Austin. Not the city that we live in. We live in a fast-paced, rapidly growing city uh, with media bombarding us all the time about you need this and you need this and this is going to make you happier if you have this, these clothes, this car, that house, this lifestyle, these outdoor hobbies that are really expensive. And so we're bombarded with this all the time and we're very aware of what we don't have. And so what that leads to is that though uh, most of us have much, have much, uh, we feel like we don't have enough, and we want more. Um, and so bef- before we look at what Paul is writing, I just want, can we just admit uh, this morning that we all are infected by this materialism a little bit? You can just admit it in your head. You don't have to raise your hand. If you do want to, that's I, I admit it. We're infected by this a little bit. Like, uh, I, I don't think I'm the only one who will open my closet door sometime and see 50 outfits and think, I have nothing to wear. I need a new shirt from Target. I need uh, whatever. Like, I, I think that we think that way, and we, uh, most of us in here probably have a list in our head of 10 or so things that we wish we had. New phone, new watch, new shoes, new whatever it is. Um, and so sometimes it can be kind of insane. Uh, it's not bad to own things. It is bad to be owned by things and to be obsessed with money and stuff, and that's what our culture here is like. And so it's a culture that we share with first century Ephesus as well, actually. Um, the, the city that Timothy lived in when Paul wrote him this le- uh, letter to the church here. Ephesus was the greatest commercial city in the Roman province of Asia. Uh, it, it was known in that time, known throughout the Roman world, as the first and greatest metropolis of Asia. Big city, big, lot of buying and selling. And so when you live in a huge port city that thrives off uh, trade and buying and selling of goods and stuff, you end up with a very consumeristic, materialistic culture. Uh, and so for the church that, that Paul's addressing here, for the church there, greed, materialism, love of money, these are all things that they're struggling with and tempted toward, major temptations for Christians there. Uh, and so it's a danger for the church because what happens uh, is, is when we start to love money and love the world and love things and become obsessed and drawn to those things, our eyes get pulled off the things of heaven and pulled off the things of Christ and onto the things of the world. And it will kill our faith. It will hurt our witness. It will make us a, a shallow church that's not living differently than the rest of the world, uh, which is the opposite of what God calls us to be as the church. Uh, and so Paul is, is writing to Timothy, and he's calling Timothy and the church uh, that Timothy is serving uh, and the churches in Ephesus to promote a counterculture within their corrupt, chaotic, materialistic culture, uh, a counterculture of contentment. That's what he's promoting uh, and calling them to walk in. And so uh, a culture that's content to just kind of have what you need and, and display Christ to the world, uh, and that would be bizarre in Ephesus, Like, that was not the culture of Ephesus, to just be content with what you have. And it's bizarre in Austin. It's bizarre right now where we live, especially over in East Austin where everything's getting built up and there's new stuff coming around. And, like, this is a bizarre culture, but contentment with Christ is a mark of a mature, healthy church. And so let's read uh, what Paul says. It's 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 3. I think it'll be put up here if you don't have a Bible I'll read the first few verses, three through five. It says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine 
and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Paul does not pull punches at all. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, he says, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, meaning imagining godliness is something you can use to get more wealth and material things. And so the first thing that Paul does here is he addresses these false teachers, says they're motivated by greed. Uh, he, and he gives this list of their unhealthy attributes, and it's meant to be looked at uh, in contrast with the list from chapter 3 of elders, the true, good, godly teachers and leaders of the church. And their, their uh, description is that they're above reproach, they're sober-minded, dignified, respectable. This list, they're conceited, they understand nothing, unhealthy craving, and they're imagining godliness as a means of gain. They're driven by greed. And so he contrasts... Uh, in verse 5, exposing their uh, motivation of greed, contrasts them with the elders uh, and saying, these guys just want to use God as a tool to get more money, to get more of the world, to get more stuff, more status. So they're not pushing against the materialism of their culture. They have bought into it. They're driven by it. They're shaped by it. That, that's the treasure that they're after. Uh, and so we have these guys today. These guys didn't um, just kind of disappear after the Bible was written. We have plenty of these guys today, uh, prosperity preachers. I, I've been told that I look like one a number of times. I don't agree, but I've been told I look like Joel Osteen. If you've heard of him, you probably have. Um, and so I hate that. Uh, so the first time I heard that, I didn't know who it was. I grew up in Houston. I didn't grow up in church, though. I never really heard of him. So I looked into him, uh, checked out uh, some stuff, and, I, and I've kind of I hear this a lot, actually, so I've looked into some stuff. Let me, let me share, if you're one of the, you know, if you're just like, who's that? And you don't know the, who has the biggest church in our country. Uh, let me read you some stuff from uh, my, yeah, that's what we should, that's how we should react <laughs> to what I'm about to read right now. These are, this is some quotes from Joel Osteen's best-selling book, Your Best Life Now. Uh, and so let me just read a few of these things and talk about it. Uh, this is, this book's sold a lot of copies. So here, uh, page five. God wants to increase you financially by giving you promotions, fresh ideas, and creativity. Okay, page 33. God wants you to live an overcoming life of victory. He doesn't want you to barely get by. He's called El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. He's not El Chipo, the God of barely enough. That's a real quote, page 33. Next, many times we pray almost as though we are inconveniencing God. We say, God, would you please give me a bit bigger apartment? I don't want to bother you too much. No, God wants to give you your own house. God has a big dream for your life. Big dreams about all the stuff he wants to give you. Page 38. The Bible clearly states God has crowned us with glory and honor. The word honor could also be translated as favor. And favor means to assist, to provide with special advantages, and to receive preferential treatment. In other words, God wants to make your life easier. He wants to assist you, promote you, give you advantages, give you money. He wants you to have preferential treatment. He wants to give you all these things in the world. This is, and I just pulled a couple of them out. This, the whole book is like this, and there's like 10 other books just like it. And this is consistent with what all of his sermons are. And so you read that, uh, and he's saying, go to God to get stuff rather than go to God to get God. Go to God to get stuff, i.e. godliness as a means of gain, what we just read. 
Go to God to gain the things of the world, and that's what's going to make you happy and satisfy your soul, and you're going to get houses and promotions. And so let's just think for a second. Uh, is that what Jesus and his disciples experienced? Jesus, godliest man who ever lived. We agree on that one, right? Um, still alive, still the godliest person who's ever lived. Uh, his disciples, like guys who wrote the Bible, uh, is that what they experienced? Did they get houses and promotions and, you know, big mansion and cars? No, they got crucified, beheaded, burned alive. And they would say gain to that because what they were after is God himself. And they knew, not because they were masochistic, they knew that to die here meant to go and be with God and God was their gain. And so what we just read from that, from that book, insane when you line it up with the Bible. And so if you're going, man, no one really believes that. That book sold over 4 million copies and counting a bunch of other books like that. A lot of other preachers and pastors like that, preachers and pastors, uh, who are selling books and preaching to their churches messages like this. Uh, Osteen's got the largest church in the nation, number one podcast on religion and spirituality. Tim Keller's number two, so he's climbing up there, which is good. Number one still Joel Osteen. And so it's not just this like little church in Houston where he's saying some crazy stuff. This is... Uh, nationwide being exported to right here in East Austin. Um, I can't tell you uh, how many families I've met. We, our church plan is kind of getting started doing a lot of ministry in the government-assisted housing projects around here, doing a lot of work with the poor and homeless here who have been here for a while. Can't tell you how many families I've visited in the projects here who don't go to church but watch Joel Osteen every Sunday and not only watch it, but give money. Send the little money that they have because they've been deceived by false teaching to think that they give their money there and God's going to give them a big house one day. That's evil to teach someone. That it gives them a false hope, a false God. It's, it's dark. Poor communities love prosperity preaching because it presents this false hope that is so shallow, though. And so it's not even just Austin and East Austin. In Tanzania, when we were in Tanzania, no joke, talk to some of the pastors around there. Who's your favorite, you know, what, do you guys know any preachers or what's the favorite ones you listen to or, you know, the ones that kind of have access to the internet or TV or something? Number one answer we heard, Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes. And so, like, no joke, this is uh, what we heard in rural Tanzania with, like, monkeys and, like, hippos. And guys are saying, yeah, I love Joel Osteen. And so most of the churches in rural Tanzania, prosperity preaching. And so for 2,000 years, and it's not the only churches there. There's some good gospel-centered churches that are being planted, that are reaching people with the true gospel. And it's really great. But for 2,000 years, False versions of Christianity have been propagated that are derived uh, of, of real substance, that are deprived of truth. They see God as a tool to get more of the world. And Paul says, avoid this. It's evil, it's nonsense. And so next few verses he points to, here's the true path that you should be after. So he picks it up in verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So he says that the false teachers motivated by greed, true disciples are free from greed to live godly, content lives. And he does this contrast uh, and says that uh, the content godliness of, of real disciples 
um, that's the greater gain. That's the better way to live. True disciples remember Jesus' words in Luke 12, 15. One's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. So true disciples of Jesus remember. How much money and stuff did Jesus have? Did he have a lot? Or did he have little? The most godly, complete, joyful person to ever live, Jesus Christ, had little. And if you're like, well, but that's Jesus. Yes, that's Jesus. That's our leader. That's who we follow. That's the example he gave us. And so Paul reminds us uh, that our stuff might be cool. Our, our, our phones, our watch, our car, whatever the thing is, it might be cool. It won't follow us into eternity, so it's not very great gain. He's saying focus, invest in things that are going to be here in 10,000, 100,000 years, like Jesus and his people and the people of the world who need the gospel. Invest in those kind of things. And so it's just the reality. We will all die Everyone in here, we're going to die unless Jesus comes back before that day. But we're going to die and we're going to go meet God. None of our stuff will come with us and we will go meet God. And the Christian thinks about that day and says, gain. That day is gain. I lose everything that I had in the world, but this is gain because God himself is the gain. God himself is what satisfies my soul. He's what my soul is after and he's what will truly satisfy me for eternity. And so, so your best life now isn't a life of material, financial blessing. Your best life now and forever is Christ. That's, your be- that's where real life is found now and forever. And Christians anticipate that day so much, the day that, that we get to be with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth and spend our eternity with God. We anticipate that so much, it changes the way we live here to being godly, and content with just the basic necessities of life. Very countercultural today, just as it was when Paul wrote it. Our culture says you need more, you need more of this, more of that, you need these things to be happy. This scripture that we read says you have enough. If you got food and clothes, you're good. You can be satisfied and you can live a godly life with just that. And so it's a real, as it sounds crazy to us, uh, but it's a real invitation to joy. Um, This is what uh, John Calvin says about this. If you know Calvin, one of the leaders in the Reformation. He said, Our covetousness is an insatiable gulf if it be not restrained. And the best bridle is, meaning the best way to restrain our covetousness, is when we desire nothing more than the necessity of what this life demands. Referring to food and clothing. For the reason why we transgress the bounds is that our anxiety extends to a thousand lives which we falsely imagine. What he's saying is uh, we, we buy things we don't need and we spend our money on all this stuff that we don't really need because what we're trying to do is buy an identity and buy a life, this false life that we think is gonna be better. We think if I just had this thing, if I buy this thing, if I have these clothes, I can get in with these people or if I had this house, I could be uh, approved of or applauded by these people and that's gonna make me happy. He's saying we imagine all these false lives and so what we do is we try to buy an identity and buy a, a, a life that we think is gonna be the good life. And it's crazy because the, the life that all of us, that is most satisfying to us, we already have in Christ. The good life is Jesus. He purchased for us, when he died on the cross, he purchased for us uh, an identity and a life that is greater than anything this world has to offer. He paid for our sin. 
that we could be completely forgiven, redeemed, belong to God, have a relationship with him, be righteous and pure before God, rose from the dead on the third day that we could have life, that we could be resurrected, live with God forever. Like Jesus did all of this so that we could have an identity and a life that is completely satisfying and joyful. Our identity is the beloved people of God. There's nothing greater than that. The bride of Jesus Christ. God's holy, chosen, beloved people. There's nothing greater than that. And we forget about it and we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded of where, uh, what we read here, where true contentment comes from. That we don't need a lot of stuff to be content in our souls. We need Christ and we have Christ. And so uh, we are freed. If we're in Christ, if you're in Christ this morning, a Christian, you're freed from the power of sinful greed to actually live a godly content life. We have freedom in that. And not only is it the most joyful life, but it's really attractive to the world. Uh, And what I mean by that is uh, this is actually... Uh, what drew me to Christ, uh, back, starting back when I was in high school, uh, seeing someone live this way. Uh, the first Christian I met, or remember meeting, uh, lived like this. His name was Jacob. He was dating my little sister, and so I had to interrogate him and uh, check him out, see what he was like. We were in high school at the time. He was a year younger than me, and so I was just going to go to his house uh, and like see, you know, see his house, see his room, meet his family, talk to him. I had all these questions I was going to ask him. Uh, and so I go over to his house and I walk in and, uh, so remember I'm in high school. When I was in high school, I was like a, a fake surfer bro. Like I like to pretend like I was one of those guys. Um, and so I wore board shorts and I was barefoot all the time. And so I walked into his house and I see this really cool, like billabong hoodie, if you guys know that brand. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh, that's a cool hoodie. And uh, he goes, oh, man, here, you got to have it. And I was like, what? He was like, I was like, this is like a $50 sweater, you know? And he was like, oh, man, I saw the look in your eyes. You love it. Here, why don't you have it? I was like, who the heck is this person? What is he, <laughs> what is he doing? Is he trying to suck up to me right now? Or like, what's going on? And, uh, and then he, gave, he, he also, like, I sat down uh, in his room. We were just looking around at a cool poster. And I was like, oh, dude, I love that poster, surfing poster. He was like, oh, here, let me take it down and give it to you. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't, no, like, leave it here. I'm just saying it's cool. And he was like, what else do you want? Like, how? And he was just so like that. And I was like, what is wrong with this person? He, uh, so he started dating my sister. I'm like, okay, I'll give him a shot. Um, and he would ride his bike over to our house um, every week and uh, on Saturdays. And he would bring her pancakes that he made in a little Ziploc bag. And he would make, he would make extra. He would make extra for me. <laughs> Like, just so, his mind was so, this is a high school kid, like, who does this? His mind was so, and every time I would ask him about it, I'd go, why do you do this stuff, man? Like, you're weird. And every time I asked him, he said, Jesus was really good to me. I try to be good to people. God's been really generous to me. I just want to be generous to people. And hearing him say that started drawing me in to be like, okay, who's Jesus? What are you talking about? What do you mean he's been good to you? And, uh, and, and so there's a part of me that was like, maybe he is just sucking up to me. Definitely wasn't. He actually broke up with my sister so that that wouldn't get in the way of our friendship with each other that we had been uh, growing in. It's like, I'm dumping your sister. Uh, we're going to be bros. And so, <laughs> like, and so I get to know him more. Uh, he gave me his Bible. Gave, that was my first Bible. Little uh, silver metal one that said, uh, thirsty with a picture of a Coke can on the front. <laughs> And, uh, and I, that was my first Bible to where uh, a few years later, I, I actually picked it up because of the impact he made on me and how godly and content and generous he was. I picked it up and I said, I want to know this Jesus 
uh, that he was so impacted by. And I started reading through the, math, the Gospel of Matthew, which is where I met Jesus and got saved as a sophomore in college. Our godliness and contentment not only uh, brings us joy in our own souls, it has a missional uh, witness to it because the world doesn't, doesn't think that way. The church thinks that way. And so Paul goes back now um, uh, after kind of giving us this true path and, and then gives a warning to close out this section in the last few verses. So he says this, but after he's given this path of godliness and contentment in Christ, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So what, what he closes this with after giving the true path uh, is just the reality that greed is a deadly force, destructive to faith, and a warning saying, don't go that way. Like, uh, he exposed the greed of false teachers, then says, here's the path that you should take as disciples. Follow Jesus, be content, be godly. And then he goes back to the issue of greed, not just for false teachers, but for all Christians, for the whole church, and says, watch out for this. It's dangerous. Don't go down that path. It doesn't lead anywhere good. And says it's the root of all kinds of evils. A heart that loves money and stuff and is obsessed with that is going to produce envy and covetousness. You're always going to be comparing yourself to someone else and what they have. And, and you're going to want to have that. And, and it produces uh, then friction between people. It's gonna, uh, it's, it says that it can bring ruin and destruction. And so he's saying this is dangerous and it can ruin your faith and, uh, and, and bring you away. And now I'll, I'll say this. He's not saying here you can lose your salvation. He's saying that those who are truly are saved can wander away from Jesus into idolatry and it can hurt you. And those who aren't really saved, there's some, though, some people uh, who are not really Christians but like to be associated with the church and eventually their real God of money will lead them away from the church. And he's saying, watch out. It, check yourself that that's not you. Make sure your God is Jesus Christ. Make sure that's the treasure of your life because you start treasuring the world, you give more and more of your heart over to that and it starts to own you and you can wander away. And even if you're a Christian, you don't want to wander away from God even for a season. Even if you know he's going to bring you back, you don't want to wander from your Lord and your Savior, right? And so he gives this, uh, this, this warning um, and what... What, what I think about when I read this is I go, well, how do I know? How do you know if you're desiring to be rich, like it says in verse 9? How do you know if that's you? How do you know where you're at? All of us, I think, struggle with this a little bit. Uh, it's not just uh, Joel Osteen and prosperity, but like this is in all of us. We're all a little affected by our materialistic culture. And so uh, I have just a couple questions uh, and then an illustration before we close uh, just to think about. Uh, for us to be introspective for a little bit about where we're at, where our heart is at. So let me just ask them one at a time. Are you content with what you have now? Or are you continually envying what others have? Do you trust God to provide for you or do you sin and cut corners to obtain money? Are you looking to Christ for your identity or are you looking to wealth and status? And do you give generously and sacrificially 
Or do you spend most of your money on yourself and hoard what you have versus being open-handed? So I ask these and just go, be honest with yourself. Where, where are you at with this? You want to root all of this out. Any, any of materialism and greed that's in your heart, by the grace of God, we want out, right? And so um, I think my wife and I, we talked about this. I think we kind of struggle with one and three a little bit of, especially just on, we'll just catch ourselves scrolling on Facebook and Instagram and seeing this person just got this thing and go, wish I had that thing. Just see someone just got this dress, just moved into their new house. And there's a little piece of our heart sometimes that goes, I hate that person now. <laughs> I want that. I deserve that more than them. I work harder. I'm more godly. I'm blah, blah, blah. And there's a little piece of us that goes, I, why do they have that? And so I, or, or maybe just going, man, I, I like the feeling of being looked at by others as someone who's successful in terms of the way our house is decorated. The, for me, it's less about house decorations. It's more about like, I like outdoorsy stuff, REI, gear, things like that. And I'll just see someone else like in Colorado camping. And I'm like, I need that tent. I have to have that. How am I happy without that? And so there's this little piece in us, maybe get our identity from how we look or what we have. Or, so that, that's just kind of where we're at as we struggle a little bit with those uh, things. And um, uh, sometimes like if we're having a rough day, the, the, the comfort that we'll go to, that we'll be tempted to go to is go to Target and buy something. Just go buy something. Make yourself feel better. I got a new shirt. I got a new watch. Uh, and, like just go buy something. I feel a little better. And so we're tempted to that. It's shallow. <laughs> But it's so normal, right? It's so normal. And so um, I think all of us struggle with at least one of these uh, and tempted, are tempted with a love of money, love of stuff, maybe finding our identity in that. So the question I want to close with is, how do we fight that then? How do we, just kind of looking at what we looked at this morning, how do we fight against that? Um, and so I, I thought about this on our way back home. Uh, just got home last night from our family vacation in California. Awesome on the beach. Uh, I actually saw that friend of mine that gave me my first Bible. He's a, a church planner in San Diego now. Got to spend some time with him, uh, be out on the beach, hang out with family. Beautiful time. My favorite part of the whole trip was the drive back um, at 4 a.m., which sounds weird. Uh, but at, my kids were asleep in the car, so that's glorious in and of itself. Um, but, uh, but just me, just some time alone, everyone's sleeping in the car, uh, and it's just me and the Lord driving praying, spent some time just praying to God, heard his word, listened to his sermon, started listening to some worship music as I'm driving. I'm listening to worship music as, as the sun starts to come up over the mountains of Southern California. And here's the lyric that's playing as I see the sun start to come up. It says, behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light. And we shall ere his people be, all glory be to Christ. It's from a song I think you guys have sung here before. Tori showed it to me, actually. And, and, and the singing about this day, remembering and looking forward to the day when God himself will be our light. When we won't need a sun, won't need a moon, because the glory of God, because the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world and has risen and is reigning, the king of kings, will be our light in the new heavens and the new earth. And my mind was there, and I was worshiping. And I remember I just, I just was stunned, and I just said, wow. Not because I was trying to sound spiritual. Everyone was asleep. I'm not going to impress anyone. I just couldn't help it. I was so stunned at the beauty of creation, at the glory of God, thinking about that day when I'm going to spend eternity with him in that moment, fully content. Not a thing in the world I wanted. Could have showed me a gold eye watch and some new Nikes and a sweet new car and a whatever. Wouldn't care. Not a thing in the world 
that all the things of the world were so underwhelming compared to the glory of God. How do you kill greed? How do you kill materialism? Put the glory of God before your eyes over and over and over again. And if you think, well, we can't all spend our mornings seeing the sunrise over mountains in California, I understand that. Do you have a Bible? This is full of glory, the glory of Christ. More glory in here than 100,000 sunrises in California. This book is full of the truth about God and his son Jesus, of his life, of his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return, the, the promises that we have in him, the life that we have in him, the grace that we have from him. book is full of the glory of Christ. My encouragement to us this morning, immerse yourself in the word of God. Immerse yourself in his word. Open it up morning and evening and ask God to show you glory. Say, God, will you show me your glory when I read these words? And as we do that, it will uh, deconstruct the materialism our culture has uh, put on us and start to build us up in contentment and godliness. And so as, uh, as we pray and close out this morning, um, encouraging you to treasure Christ, be content, look to him, immerse yourself in his word. Uh, the words of a hymn come to mind. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus, the example that he gave us, the righteousness of his life that he's offered to us, the, the salvation we have through his death on the cross, the life we have through the resurrection. And I thank you for your word that reveals him to us, that reveals your glory to us so that the things of this world will be underwhelming to us and we can set our hearts and our eyes on you and find real joy, not in the things of the world, but find real joy in our relationship with you and who you are in your glory. And I pray that as you uh, make us more like Jesus and, and get our eyes more on your glory, that the world around us would see that and be drawn and, and people would come to know you because we are living differently by your grace. And so we need you. I pray you'd fill us with your spirit that we can go live as your people in the city of Austin today. In Jesus' name, amen.